0: Bull weevils in the cotton patch, changing them out. And it's all that we have to talk about. We've got good people and their beliefs. What we need for the people is a farm relief. And it looks to me we should all agree what we need for the people is a farm relief. We can eat sour belly with turnip greens. But we sure do have to plan and scheme. We all start working at the break of day. And we don't get ready. Hello. And Welcome we back to the American Writers 100 Pages at a Time podcast, uh, where we are currently working on uh, Let Us Now Praise Famous Men by uh, James Adgey and uh, with an assist from Walker Evans and his his photography. So um, we've gone through the first half of this book already, and we've seen it's it's a mixture of, like, reportage on sharecroppers families in Alabama and some of Adji's own reflections and literary um, you know experimentation especially the first hundred pages much more of the latter much more of Adji's experimentation and then the second part the stuff we looked at last time was a much more on the surface anyways mundane look at the the, especially the house the houses that um, these people lived in uh, especially one family in, uh, in a lot of detail. And after that, we get a transitional period, and that's where I'll start today um, as, a, as I go through the third quarter of this book. Um, and, you know, mostly we're still going to be in this reportage stuff. I think it's about clothing and education and work, are, the, are the, like the, the headings, the chapter headings here. But he has this transitional period called On the Porch 2 of course there was an on the porch one earlier in the in the book and there's a lot of interesting stuff going on it's actually fairly long too it's about 25 pages Uh, so it's a big chunk of the overall bulk of the book um and it starts out with with kind of a description of of them laying on the porch right like you know on on a on an evening yeah it's um, and some of his reflections about the homes where they live he writes for instance We lay on the front porch to the left of the hill as you enter one of us lay on the rear seat of a chevrolet sedan The other on a piece of cotton thin cotton filled quilting taken from the seat of divin made wives We exchanged these night by night The problem with the auto seat was its height on one side and the lowness on the other its shortness and its texture by letting you sent the center of your weight fall far enough on the high side it was possible to effect a compromise where you had the benefit of a fair amount of the width of the seat and yet were not rolled off. So anyways very matter-of-fact descriptions of of just living with and um, these people and 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 what their material conditions are. Um, He goes on, slipping on the belly you made sustaining springs at your feet and this was slightly and invariably reminiscent of sexual intercourse. A handkerchief or towel wonder the cheek was helpful, on and on and on. All right. So he starts with this uh, description of these knights uh, on the porch, and then he moves into kind of reflections on humanity. And we start to get to, I think, what are some of the themes of, of the book, right? Um, you know, reflections on the land, the relationship between people and the land, relationship between, uh, again, the material conditions of these people and their individualism and their individuality. I I think that's really the thematic core of this book, right? That they're not simply, it's not, you can't look at three sharecroppers' homes and say, oh, this is how sharecroppers live, right? Because that's how a lot of reporters' reportage would have done it. He says, no, all I can tell you about is these three individual families and their experiences and their subjectivities and their individualism, you know, but that's it. There's really nothing much more we can say outside of it. I mean, there, there's no political proposal. There's no uh, clear uh, like argument for like socialism or something like that in this book. Instead, it's just, right, this is as far as these kind of investigations get you, is to tell you the story of this family. And that's worth telling. I mean, that's, that's a story that Adji certainly thinks is worth sharing. Um but there's there's a lot here about like the relationship between land and the and the people. Quote human beings, with the assistance of mules, work this land so that they might live. The sphere of power of a single human family and a mule small, and within the limits of each of these small spheres, an essentially human frailty, the ultimately mortal wound which is living, and the infinite strength not to perish has erected against its hostile surroundings this scab, the shelter for a family and its animals. So that the fields, the houses, the towns, the cities express themselves upon the grieved membranes of the earth in the symmetry of a disease. The literal symmetry of a literal disease, which they were literally so essentially apart. So he dwells on this topic a little bit about uh, these, these individuals in kind of the struggle for survival in this, in this harsh environment and harsh nation. And then he moves to the question of journalism. Where the question I think this is a question that runs throughout the whole book as well is how do you tell these stories and what's the best way and and should you even be telling these stories because it is kind of voyeuristic and he asks who what when who what where when and why and how is the primal cliche and complacency of journalism. But I don't wish to appear to speak favorably of journalism. I have never yet seen a piece of journalism which conveyed more than the slightest fraction of what e- any even moderately reflective and sensitive person would mean and intend. Here, let's, let's try that again. Uh, I have never yet seen a piece of journalism which conveyed more than the slightest fraction of what any even moderately reflective and sensitive person would mean and intend by those unachievable words. And that fraction itself, I have never seen clean of one or another degree of patient to say nothing of essential falsehood. So then he kind of says, basically journalism lies to us. It's a lie, it's, it's a reduction. Um, and. And it really can't tell these stories accurately, it asks the wrong questions. It, 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 but he says it's not journalism's fault. It's just it's it's its, its nature to do what it does. The so quote, the very blood and steam of journalism, on the contrary, is a broad and successful form of lying. Remove that form of lying and you no longer have journalism. Then what do we have? Well. What can we do? Um, and that's then truth. And imagination seem to be related in some way as the solution right um and it's it's very kind of philosophical here as he he tries to get into uh you know how we can kind of come at truth right so he's kind of against this empiricism of, of journalism but i think the problem with journalism is it's so limiting it's like, can you tell us any story in like the 500 words in the one column? Right. Um, it says like his opinion on this is like journalism is not to be blamed for this. No more than a cow is to be blamed for not being a horse. Um, so where does truth come and He even like gets into some kind of a like almost early postmodern thinking about the problem of even words. Right. Words being inaccurate, words not being able to really convey stories like a, a fa- being a failed symbol. Right. Um, obviously, that's the cornerstone of, of, of a lot of post-structuralist thought. Right. This focus on language as the as the way we communicate, but also a, a very flawed one. Right. And, and one that can't really convey our, our central ideas very well. Okay, so he sort of gives an example of this, and he, he writes this, George Gruder is a man, etc., but obviously, in the effort to tell of him by example, as truthfully as I can, I'm limited. I know him only so far as I know him, and only in those terms to which I know him, and all that depends as fully on who I am as, as on who he is. I'm confident in being able to get at a certain form of the truth about him only if I am as faithful as possible to Gruder as I know him, to Gruder as in his actual flesh and life. But there again, always in my mind and memory's eyes, he is. But, of course, it will only be relative truth. Name me one truth within human range that is not relative, and I'll feel a shade more apologetic of that. End quote. You know, and I think he's not wrong here. I think he's not wrong about the difficulty of, of telling any story, right? And th- there are falsehoods. There are constructions. There is, a, you know, whenever you write, there's a, scaffolding to the to the story you're trying to tell even if it's nonfiction. but I also think there's a little bit too much uh, fatalism about it you know because yeah it's true but what do we do about it I mean in a practical sense in a pragmatic sense we do tell stories and we are able to tell stories you know even if we need to have a critical eye about them so I don't know how I feel about this section. It's just really interesting philosophical diversion on the nature of truth. He also, in this section, talks a little bit about, his, about communism. And he kind of says, well, I'm not a communist, really, in the way you think. He says, I'm a communist by sympathy and conviction. But it does not appear, just for one thing, that communists have recognized or in any case made anything serious of the sure fact of the persistence of what once was insuff- insufficiently described as pride, a mortal sin, can quite as coldly inevitably damage and wreck the human race as that most total power of greed ever could. Um, so he, he kind of falls back on a human nature argument against actually existing socialism. But um, so he thinks like communism can't really be achieved. But, you know, he does the he kind of gives the the excuse so many Essentially at the end of anti communist give, it's like, oh, it's good in theory but not in practice, right? This this is a kind of an unfortunate section, I think. That's um but it kind of it kind of extends from his overall ambivalence about truth, right? If if you posi- agree with his position on truth, you can kind of understand why he's skeptical about about uh, communism, because it's it makes truth claims about the economy, about about um, you know the nature of capitalism and and people's experience under it and all of that all that jazz okay so after this on the porch two section which is very relevant it's another part that you can kind of extend out and read just as a dissertation on on a theme we get to the section on clothing and so we're back to kind of the matter-of-fact reportage and after having read him basically telling us journalism is a lie he goes back into journalism mode, right? So are we take, supposed to take the whole thing with a grain of salt, right? Or are we just supposed to realize that he is very limited in, you know, he's only gonna be able to tell part of the, part of the picture, right? I think so. I think we have to hold him up to his own standards here. Um, but, you know, he goes through family by family, person by person about their, their, their clothing, the hats they wear, the nature of their work shoes what their Sunday clothes is like you know quite a lot of details but again very just very kind of systematic um not without literary flair I mean I don't want to say it's boring it's not I mean some of it's actually quite nicely written but some parts of this is literally a list listen to this Saturday Mrs. Grutter face hands feet and legs are washed the hair is done up more tightly even than usual Black or white cotton stockings. Black low-heeled slippers with strapped insteps and single buttons. A freshly laundered cotton print dress held together high at the throat with 10-cent brooch. A short necklace of black glass beads. A hat. She has two pairs of stockings, but sometimes goes bare-legged to Cookstown on Saturdays, but always wears stockings on Sundays. The dress is one of two she would not be ashamed to wear away from home. They are not yet worn down or in... Eradicably spotted in other respects. It's like all of her other dresses made at home and care of carefully selected printed cotton cloth Uh, So it's kind of interesting. It's kind of intriguing the way he goes at this, but you know, it is What it is It's his effort to try to describe their clothing's their clothing He's got an interesting aside about overalls. I don't know if that's for urban writers who maybe don't you know Maybe don't experience them or understand them even how they're pronounced Overhauls. That's how they're pronounced in Alabama, I guess. On overalls. Their shoes, their hats. All the, you know, especially a lot of focus on the women's dresses. Um, you know, I, I think Adji and, and, and Evans kind of had a a bit of a... a th- like... They sort of flirted, and there's a lot of attention given to the women in these stories. So, I wouldn't say it's like a feminist text or anything. It's actually sometimes kind of weird their fascination with 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 some of these women. But it's interesting, and it's it's kind of fun how um, they they seem to have a little bit more inherent interest in like the dresses than the than the men's like hats. The very next section of the the book is called Education, and it's a really good section uh, that it has that same kind of systematic quality in which he goes through each of the kids, how many years of schooling they had, are they still in school? How many years do they plan to go to school? What are they learning? You know, kind of what's their plans. I mean, there's, there's a bit of fatalism about this section as, as was kind of running throughout the whole book that there's kind of a futility to this education. It's not like this, this is going to get them out of their predicament, right? You can't like educate yourself out of poverty. Um, when the whole system is kind of stacked against you, right? And the educational system itself is not really a, equipped for social mobility, right? You know, it's like the old saying: they're not going to teach you the tools you need to overthrow. Your oppressors aren't going to teach you the tools you need to overthrow them. Um, and and that said, but there's still the other interesting theme here in this section of of like social reproduction of how education is the way we sort of pass on our values and our ideas to the next generation so there's kind of this naturalism in uh, in this section that it kind of runs throughout the whole book too like the connection between people and the land and kind of you know seeing these people as kind of you know people in this life or death struggle for survival you know in that sense almost animal-like right obviously he has great love and he, he, he delivers great humanism to these people. But there's still this kind of idea that they're in this, this very base-rooted struggle for survival. Um, and, and therefore, the theme of kind of social reproduction is part of that. He writes, for instance, this is how the section begins. In every child who is born under no matter what circumstances and of no matter what parents, and potentially of the human race, the potentiality of the human race is born again. And in him too, once more, in each of us, our terror, terrific responsibility towards human life, towards the utmost idea of goodness, of the horror of error and of God. Every breath his sense shall draw. Every act and every shadow, a thing in all creation, is a mortal poison, or is a drug, or is a single or symptom, or is a teacher, or is a liberator, or is liberty itself, depending entirely on his understanding and understanding the action proceeding from understanding and guided by it is the one weapon against the world bombardment the one medicine the one instrument by which liberty health and joy may be shaped or sh- be shaped or shaped towards in the individual and in the race um so he goes into this that's how it starts it's a very optimistic view of education right it's it's a view that education is this chance for us to remake humanity each each generation right the problem is we seem to fuck it up you know because when he actually goes into the education of these kids you know it's often fragmentary they're not really learning that much that's relevant it's many of them are dropping out at a young age um the teachers aren't really there's not a lot of money for these schools um They're kind of left on their own. I mean, the teachers don't have really a lot of skills, it seems. So they're kind of left to basically self-teach, but they don't really know how to do that. They, they don't have the ability and intelligence and or at least the skills. I don't want to say intelligence, but the skill set to self-teach. Um, so and he gets there really by going through student by student, you know, what the school's like, what they're learning there. And, you know, some of them like school. Some of them are really seem to be get getting something out of school. Others find it frustrating and 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 leave. For instance, Margaret. Margaret is which one? Let me make sure. Remember, we got the three families. The Woods, the Ricketts, and the Gruders. So, Margaret... Margaret Is Sadie Ricketts' daughter, is the Ricketts' daughter, 20 years old uh, at the time that they went there. Uh, Margaret quit school when she was in the fifth grade because her eyes hurt so badly every time she studied books. She had forgotten a good deal how to read. Parley quit soon after Margaret because she was lonesome. She still reads fairly easily and quite possibly will not forget how. The Ricketts are spoken of disapprovingly even so far away as the county courthouse as problem children. Their attendance record is extremely bad. Their conduct is not all good. Um, Mrs. Ricketts cannot read or write. Um, so this is—these aren't families that can cultivate kind of education. Uh, they're not really equipped to that with their work, their economic situation, their experience, and the the public doesn't really invest in these kids very significantly. Um, and he actually talks a little bit about the black schools, too, the experience of, of the black schools in the area. But a lot of uh, kind of fatalism, to be to be to be frank, about the about the, s- the state of education in this in this area. Um, but a- and after going into education, we get to work. Uh, and that's kind of, I guess, where we'll, we'll close. And it kind of that kind of ends his his systematic journalistic endeavors so it was like clothing housing uh work money education all all those those like five or six things um and then the final hundred pages of the book the things i'll talk about next time is various reflections and fragments and there's interesting stuff going on there but it kind of goes back into this literary modernism that makes up so much of this of this uh this book So work comes last because he kind of, the way he kind of explains it is like the material conditions of their existence are all contingent on the work they do. Um, And in fact, their whole social structure, their whole society uh, exists for the purpose of work, right? Quote, the family exists for work. It exists to keep itself alive. It's a cooperative economic unit. The father does one set of tests, the mother another quote. So this is kind of like a actually sort of Marxist almost definition of of the family as as an extension of, of, of One's economic necessities, right? And that's a feminist uh, Argument against kind of there's a feminist argument in that in that like women can't survive without marriage, right? So they're kind of coerced into marriage because of their inability to do anything else in a society, you know certainly that was true more so in the Middle Ages than in this era, but you could say in the Middle Ages, you could always become a nun or something, right? It's the, the, there weren't as many options for the for these for these women except marriage, right? So it starts out talking kind of about general household work um, and especially the work the women do. Then the bulk of this chapter, this section, is is called uh, cotton. Cotton is only. Om- only one among several crops, and among many labors, and to all the other crops and labors, mean life itself. Cotton means nothing of this sort. It demands more work of a tenant family and yields less reward than all the rest. End quote. But of course, this is the cotton economy. This is what the landlords want, and these are sharecroppers. They're tenant farmers, and so that's that's the system they live in. That's what's available to them, despite the fact that it doesn't really help them, help the families actually prosper. Uh, plenty written about the cotton economy of the South. We, we all know about the sharecropping and the, uh, the post-Civil War labor regimens that were posed both on blacks and poor whites, and the Croplian system and the populists and all that stuff is uh, well known. So, um, yeah, but he, he goes into the details of the, of the process of, of making cotton, uh, right? Right. Now, this kind of brings us to the close of the bulk of, of the book. Um, we have like one more episode, though, to cover the final hundred pages of the book. It begins with a section called intermission, which ends up being about literature. Um, and then he's got various other reflections on things. It's really it kind of goes off the rails a little bit. But as as with throughout the whole book, it's interesting what he's trying to do here. And I think that that makes the book kind of valuable and interesting to read so we'll have one more episode on let us now praise famous men um and i'll look forward to to sharing my thoughts with you uh next time so uh in the meantime if you have any of your thoughts or questions about this book um you know if you understand it better than i do which probably there's someone out there who does i'm kind of struggling with it myself but if you're out there and you want to share your opinions about this book let me know uh, i will be very glad to read your email you can send it to 100pagescast at gmail.com uh, so that's it for now i'll, I'll see you next time we all agree Thanks. what we need for the people is the farm relief. Really. Too high, and the market too low. We ask for credits, and they all say no. We've got good people, and they all know well what the poor old.